Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Wendy's is giving you a chance to win cash. Head to a participating Wendy's, snap a pic when you try the new homestyle French toast sticks, and post it on social using the hashtag Wendy's French Toast Stick Sweeps or log on to Wendy's French Toast Stick Sweeps.com. Wendy's new homestyle French toast sticks are crispy on the outside, fluffy on the inside. They're so good, they're the best thing to ever happen to breakfast. No purchase necessary. See rules at Wendy's French toast stick sweeps.com. Sweepstakes end September 11th, 2022. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. Alabama in the rear view, Missouri coming up, and in a lot of ways, I think Carolina fans will finally start to get a clearer picture against a similarly matched opponent of what this Carolina team is going to end up looking like. It seems more and more like that North Carolina game was an aberration after two consecutive strong performances, one in an overwhelming win, one in a spread-covering loss. Um, but we have uh, some more big-picture thoughts on that. I hope you all listen to Wes and Chris give their instant reactions on another Carolina podcast on Monday. We're going to give a few more Big picture thoughts as we are now a couple days removed from the Alabama game. Do a little bit of buy or sell and then move into some preview for the Missouri game. But before we get into that, I want to remind you guys to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends if you like it and you want us to continue doing it. That's the best way to support the podcast. And without further ado, Wes, Chris, welcome in. The Alabama game went, I think, a lot like people expected. I think by and large the expectations weren't that Carolina was going to win. People were cautiously optimistic that Carolina would cover the spread, as they did. People say it was on a late touchdown, but also the touchdown that initially was Alabama covering the spread was their backups. So, you know, you kind of exchange garbage time garbage time touchdowns. But through two and a half quarters, that was a legitimately competitive game. And now a couple days removed, do you all have any other big-picture thoughts that make you either more optimistic or more pessimistic about the overall performance from Carolina on Saturday? I think that was a good question as far as what you take away from the game. Um, you know, and this is something that we've said several times already, but you don't you don't take away too much from that Charleston Southern game because of the competition level. You know, you can take away some things on sort of a micro level about, you know, hey, Ryan Holinsky looked really good. You take away a few different things, but in terms of the of the big picture, there wasn't a lot you could do with that game. I, I feel similarly about the Alabama game on on the opposite side of the spectrum. I don't think you can look at it and say South Carolina can't compete with the other teams on the schedule. It was a horrible performance. Alabama lit them up on the back end, there's no doubt. 444 yards, four touchdowns for Tua. A lot of those on, to be quite honest, not to take anything away from his performance because he's great, but fairly easy throws. Um, Henry Ruggs hitting 23 miles an hour on his 81-yard touchdown. I'm I'm being serious. I don't think Uh, I hit that driving to work this morning. No, I mean, it is wild. Um, But – you know, we knew to some degree that Alabama was going to put up points and and look good doing it and make South Carolina look not so good on, on some on on defense in particular. And I think all of us picked, you know, similar scores. Probably Alabama in the forties or very high thirties, and then South Carolina somewhere in that twenty range. So, 
you know, I, I just don't think you look at it. I think you consider that Alabama has one of the best receiving cores in the country, if not the best. Um, they're, they're different than Clemson. Those would probably be the top two. They're different types of receivers in Clemson. Um, but they're they're just so, so good in space. They're so dynamic on offense and defensively. They got a lot of talent, too. And South Carolina didn't play their best. Neither did Alabama. Uh, the Gamecocks missed some opportunities. Um, and, look, they're going to have to go on the road play Missouri. They got a lot of challenges going forward, and, and they're going to have to play better than they did in week one going forward. They can't revert to that. Um, so there were some good things, some bad things, but overall you can't – I don't think you can say this is the team's identity in the secondary or overall just based on that game. I think uh, a lot of attention and a lot of analysis has been paid to the positives coming out of the Alabama game, and rightfully so. I think there were more good things coming out of that game. Ryan Helensky looking at the very, very top end of what could reasonably have been expected for him. Rico Dowdle, I mean, really looks excellent. Looks like a completely different back than the last two years. Looks a lot more like the flashes we saw of him freshman year. A lot of attention has been paid to that, and, and like I said, rightfully so. But that's why I'm glad that you started where you did, Chris, because one of the things that I haven't been able to decide is how much of a problem is South Carolina's secondary and specifically the safety position because there is obviously a, a, a lot of questions, or there were obviously a lot of question marks about specifically tackling in the secondary after the North Carolina game against Charleston Southern. You don't really get to see a whole lot. And then against Alabama, you mentioned one of the best receiving cores in the country. I would say definitely the best receiving core in the country, arguably. You, y'all have watched more football than I have because y'all are a few years older than I am. But I think this is the greatest wide receiving core I've ever seen in college football. Like the best wide receiving cores in the game of football right now, it's like Alabama, Clemson, and the New England Patriots, and like <laughs> the Chiefs. So – yeah, how I mean, much? Uh, obviously, they, they had a, they had a game plan. They have the right personnel to expose all of those problems that Carolina has. Um, but it doesn't mean that those problems don't exist. So, how much is, is the safety position and you know sort of that nickel position and sort of the rotation of those three guys outside of Mukwamu and Horn? How much of that is a is a legitimate issue going forward? When you, to me, I think you look more back at the North Carolina game to get and, and then pair that with what we saw against Bama, and then you go, yeah, this is an issue. You know, I, I do. I certainly think it's an issue. And Will Muschamp said the same. Um, you know, some of it was some of it was Alabama's just really good. Uh, when Henry Ruggs gets the ball in space, if you give him room, you're probably not catching him. I mean, he he's a sub four three runner. You know, and then you got Jalen Waddle, and you got Jerry Judy, and you got uh, Devontae Smith was the one that I mean really tuned him up. He had I think a what it was at 130, 160 yards, and he had two touchdowns, eight catches. So he he got to him also. You sort of pick your poison with those guys. They did a nice job, actually, on Jerry Judy in the game. He had six catches. Um, five of them came after Bama went up, I think, 34-13. The game was out of hand. So Yeah, I think one know. of them, too, was on sort of one of those jet sweep pop passes, if I remember correctly. And yeah. Horn didn't follow him around the entire day, but he followed him around a good bit a good and bit, did a yeah. really good job on he him. He did a good job on him. And, and, and J.C., I, I believe, got – uh, beat on one of the Devontae Smith, I think, touchdown catches. But, look, your defensive back, you play against Bama, you're getting beat some. There's no doubt about it. So I, I go back to the North Carolina game and then couple that with some of the things we saw against Bama, some bad angles. We saw one play um, on the, the first Bama touchdown, sort of the little wheel route with the running back, and they, they lost a guy there. I think yeah. I mean, it was, I, I it, think was, it was Jemias's guy. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, it sure. was Najee Harris ran out of the backfield, and Jemias, they ran – like right past each other. I think like they were trying to disguise. Other. They they ran Jemias down sort of into the box, and then when Harris came around, there was nobody on him. They just lost him. I think they were in man coverage, and maybe Jemias was supposed to pick him up there. I'm not 100% sure. I don't, I don't know what the defensive call was, but 
there were some mental errors that were a little bit more alarming than, hey, you let <laughs> you let uh you know one of these Bama receivers run by you. That's going to happen some. And and then you pair that with North Carolina. That, there were some really good individual plays by North Carolina's receivers in that game, but I think just some of the issues that we saw pairing both those together are things that you can carry forward and be concerned about. Wes, three days removed or four days removed now from the Alabama game. Do you find your big picture takeaways are are more of the same sort of general positivity that has been sort of the talking point for the last couple of days, or is there anything else big picture, sort of a negative, a, a big concern? Because Carolina did lose by 23 points or 24 points going forward. Yeah, I think that, you know, as far as the question of how, you know, how much is it about Alabama or how much is it, you know, something where we we there's still big concerns. I think, you know, maybe even the better question is um, how correctable are the issues that are still there. You know, I, I look at that game and I say, yeah, a lot of it was because Alabama's receivers are so good. And, you know, they, they play a true four wide. Like, they actually, they, rather than sort of um, – kind of adjusting to this pass first, spread it out, throw it around thing. Uh, to Saban's credit, he's leaned all the way into it. And, you know, even as that game went along, when traditional Alabama, even the pass-happy Alabama, would have said, okay, we're up by three scores. We're going to sort of just salt this thing away. We're going to wear them down and, and basically make them surrender in the fourth quarter by running the football. They they try to say somewhat more balance in the second half, I think, but – Still, you know, when they needed plays, they were throwing the football. So, um, not just that they had one or two great receivers. It's that Alabama had four great receivers, and they put all four of them on the field at one time. And everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people online want to say, well, you know, play man coverage, play man coverage, play man press coverage. Well, um, if they have four wide receivers on the field, you're trying to man up with those guys, uh, you already have your nickel back matched up with a guy who's going to be faster than him. Um, now you have, depending on what coverage you're in, now you have a safety um, just ev- basically every single time because Carolina doesn't really play much true dime. Um, you know, you have a, a safety matched up with one of those guys, and if you're in cover two men, you have a linebacker matched up against one of those guys, uh, which I don't think Carolina did much of that. But, you know, it's really one of those things where I think it was a terrible matchup for South Carolina. There are concerns, but it just so happened. And it wasn't a surprise. We talked about it all week leading into the game. Some Sometimes you talk about things, and then the game doesn't play out at all the way you expect, you expect it to. And then sometimes you talk about potential issues, and it's just what you thought. And I think it was just what we thought in this case. So it is a matter of South Carolina's weakness, which it is a weakness, but it's being exposed by not just uh, their strength, but – when it's a strength compared to just about every other team in the entire country. So I, I think the the thing for South Carolina is now can they can they fix some of these issues? I, I think like Chris said, the the mental stuff is what concerns you the most. You gotta clean that up. You gotta continue to tweak, I think. And uh, the the question is what is the best combination of guys? Because they keep you know, I, I they start they start the game out um, you know, the same way they started out against Charleston Southern, McQuamu and Horn at corner, R.J. Roderick at nickel, J.T. Ebay, Jemias Williams at safety. As the game went along, you saw them, uh, do, you know, do some mixing and matching 
Jamie Robinson got in there at nickel, of course. I think he's got a, a bright future, but you gotta you gotta bring him along, even if that means simplifying what you do a bit. You gotta bring him along mentally to keep him on the field. I think uh, when they did that, they had moved R.J. Roderick back up to safety alongside J.T. Ebay. Later in the game, they actually had Johnny Dixon in the game at cornerback, um, and they slid J.C. Horn over to nickelback. Um, you know, they gotta find whether it's sliding McQuamu back to safety and playing Johnny Dixon more, whether it's playing J.C. Horn in the nickel, which is something they don't want to do, but they may have to, or whether it's just bringing, you know, throwing Jamie Robinson back into the fire and saying, go make mistakes, but you got to get better. You know, the kid's going to be fine. It's just a matter of bringing those young guys along maybe faster than they're ready because I I think that's probably what it's going to take to fix this thing. That said, until, like we said, until maybe you face Clemson later in the year, which, you know, from a Carolina perspective, they're hoping by then some of these issues are at least shored up, you know, that the tweaks have worked. Um, but until then, there's probably nobody that can, ex- you know, expose you quite like Alabama did. And even as good as Clemson is at receiver, like Chris said, they're different receivers. And I'm not saying they're not fast, but yeah, Alabama's fast. guys <laughs> are like, you know, you're, they're, you're like six foot, six one speedster type receivers, whereas Clemson, I think, have some guys that, um, sort you know you have your bigger taller guys you do have some slot type guys but it's a little bit different array of skill sets to that point and to, and to Chris's point I I don't remember what the final number was but the amount of passes that Alabama threw down the field was paltry considering two or through what did he throw 38 passes and I think just a handful of them traveled more than 10 yards in the air that's what Clemson's going to do a little bit differently. They're going to try. They're going to challenge you more vertically, and they have guys obviously like Ross that can really just go up and get it. And in yeah, the way that you the, know, and that's the issue with it. They can do a lot of different things offensively. Clemson yeah. can, but and Mar Rogers coming back into. and looking explosive Rogers, in his first yeah. game that adds a whole another element. But it is. It, you're right. It is a different type of attack than Alabama. And the other point that you made that I thought was a good one with Alabama actually putting four wide receivers out. People talk a lot about the spread offense, and so you think, oh, you know, we're just going to run you know, four wide receivers, but a lot of it's still 11 personnel, and they're just splitting oh, yeah. out the tight end. So it, it's actually an entirely different beast. And even with Clemson, like, you, well, they'll run four wide, but it's 11 personnel yeah, still, and a it's a tight end. end. So, the, so the matchup problem isn't quite as dire. Um, and, and so that's why I think while it is worth talking about, and you anticipated my next question in terms of what the secondary, the starting secondary will look like. Yeah, you do a great job of that. What the uh, starting secondary will be in the Missouri game. But, you know, I, I, think, I think things will probably look like – I think even if Carolina doesn't actually get better, they will look better just because there aren't as many playmakers on like the rest of the teams that Carolina is playing minus Clemson to sort of expose that problem. But with that being said, what is your predicted starting lineup for the secondary against Missouri? You know, that's something I've been efforting, you know, as far as if there have been major changes, uh, you know, before they made the offensive line changes, we got word on Sunday, hey, this was the starting group, um, you know, in that, Held, held firm throughout the week and ended up being the starting group. They mix and match so much um, in practice that even, you know, if you get word on, on what it's looked like, sometimes it's hard to tell exactly what it's going to look like on Saturday. Um, I I don't know. I, I they, They've got to get better at, at safety. Um, you know, and I, I think ideally it's, it's one of two things in my opinion. Ideally, you're just rolling with Jamie Robinson at nickel. And that allows you to play RJ, RJ at safety with and JT eBay yeah. at, at safety. Um, which, again, Jamie Robinson, really, really good p- 
player. Yeah, he um, played. He played well and graded out well against Alabama. He's yeah. a is a after missing some tackles against North Carolina, I thought he had a couple of good tackles in space against Bama too. Yeah, physically, really, really good player. From what I've been told, still coming along. Which you expect. He's a true freshman getting thrown into the mix. Still coming along mentally as far as understanding uh, the intricacies of the defense and everything it takes. So you're gonna maybe have some busts there, but um, or the other option is to go back to what they did, you know, week one, and that's play McQuamu at safety. Um, you know, that allows you to sort of, um, you know, play him at safety with eBay, play him at safety with RJ, and play Jamie, you know, at, at nickel. Um, I think long-term, you know, you kind of maybe want to play Jamie at safety potentially, but there's so much mentally that goes into playing safety in this scheme. I don't know if you want to put that on a freshman. So I think that option's kind of out. Um you know, and that puts Johnny Dixon back in there. Um, do you take a harder look? Maybe if you don't feel like you have what you need at nickel yet, do you take a hard look at A.J. Turner back at nickel, still leave J.C. Horn and McQuamu as your corners? Um, that then frees up R.J. Roderick to stay at safety as yeah. well. Um, I, I get the impression they they want to keep Horn and McQuamu. Well, they've said it. It's not just an impression. They, Ideal world, they want to keep Horn and McQuamu at cornerback. Are they able to do that though? You know, it's one thing to to want to do it. It's another thing you got to get the best five, no matter what you have to do. Even if that means sliding Horn over to to nickel to free up Roderick to play safety. Um, none of the none that, of that those... seems that seems like the the least feasible option because you you can't take Horn off of whatever the other but, team's best receiver because he's he's your best option right now. Like Mukwamu, I think hasn't even been as good as I expected him. Or I expected that he was going to be this year, but the the North Carolina setup I think is interesting because you mentioned Israel starting at safety I, I, if you want him at corner that's fine but if you're trying to figure out what to do with that other safety spot next to eBay if you feel like Jemias isn't the guy that needs to be taking 55 snaps a game back there have you heard anything or do you feel like it's feasible to move Israel there and then instead of putting John Dixon maybe you put Jamie Robinson at that other corner he has left to wor- less to worry about and you have RJ Roderick stay at that nickel position no I don't think Jamie I don't he he hasn't played, I don't think, any cornerback since he got here. Um, I think he's nickel safety all the way, so that takes that out. Um, but, yeah, the thing is, the thing that makes me think that's at least a possibility is, you know, I rewatched the Alabama game. Late in the game, South Carolina's defense was Dixon and Mukwamu outside, Horn at nickel. So that that's what makes me think that's at least a possibility. Um, you know, and, and it, I don't really get the sense that, that they travel, and I need to go back and look at it specifically, I don't really think South Carolina travels its cornerback to follow the number one receiver. It's more, here, you know, here's what side you're lining Playing up on. Playing the field or the boundary. Yeah. There, there, were, the there time, were a couple so. plays against Alabama, but I think that was, I, I don't know, I remember there was one, there was a third down that ended up being a completion to Devontae Smith against Mukwamu, and it was Smith and Judy lined up on the left, uh, Devontae Smith on the outside, Judy in the slot, and they put J.C. in, in that sort of, like, nickel on the slot, on the yeah. inside, and then Mukwamu on the outside. Um, but by and large, I, I don't think they do that. I think we saw even more than I expected against Alabama. But that, for me, uh, obviously that's the biggest area of concern because that's where Carolina got beat because they did a really, really good job defending the run. You mentioned Alabama not salting the salting the game away in a traditional sense, but it's because they had 25 carries and only averaged three yards a carry over the course of the entire game. And, a, and they had a couple, like, chunk plays, too. Najee Harris had two, I think, 12-yard runs. And even still, we're only able to to make up three yards of carry. And Tua, one of the most interesting parts of the game, I thought, Tua had 
zero carries. He was credited with two carries, but they were both sacks. He never mm-hmm. ran the football. And I, uh, God, there's a there's a lot, there's a lot that takes place in any game. But two things that popped in my head again when you were saying all that is, a, you know, when when your cornerbacks are up playing man coverage on these slants that go for big yardage, um, and I think at least on one of them, the one where where J.C. Horn got beat on the slant and it ended up, um, you know, the receiver crossed the safety, takes it to the house. Um, you're in man free, which means those cornerbacks, in theory, have a safe, hey, have safety help. Yeah, deep. you play inside you're, leverage. You give them the inside release, and the safety has to help. Your safety um, has has got to come up and help you get that guy on the ground. That slant has to be a ten yard completion, not a chunk play and a touchdown. And I, I think Carolina, A, it goes back to, okay, how much of this is that those receivers were just so fast that it created bad angles. And I think South Carolina has some speed concerns at the safety position. Now, some teams can expose that better than other teams. Some teams, the proper angle, the proper um, you know film prep, the pro- you know just understanding where you're supposed to be, you can erase that against – some team, maybe maybe most. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. But um, Alabama, Alabama destroys angles. Basically, they it's a different angle against those guys than it is against most other teams. Yeah, so. but if this is rock paper scissors, angle beats speed. You just if you take the right angle, you take the speed away. And that was the exact thing that happened. The exact same thing that happened on the rugs touchdown. It was both safeties taking a bad angle on rugs, and that was what sprung him. But sometimes that guy is just that freaking fast. But not if you t- not if you take the right angle. If we were but to there, ask Will Muschamp no right now, thing, there's no such thing. At some point, that guy is just too freaking fast. I think. They also on the on the um, on the the touchdown that Rugs took. You know, Will Muschamp talked about this. It's almost like prophetic, stopping their feet. Yeah, they're just sort of standing. They were facing Rugs directly basically or maybe had a slight angle on him and there i remember there being two defenders there after they sort of crossed over horn and they both were just sort of flat-footed you got like Muschamp said you have zero chance yeah it makes him look even faster when he's running by dudes that are standing still right right my point being the yeah okay maybe if he takes the perfect angle but the margin for error sure is is basically impossible yeah absolutely but like earl thomas wasn't the best safety in the nfl for eight years because he was the fastest or even the most athletic guy on the field. It's because he was smart because he always took good angles. He understood the geometry of the defensive backfield better than anybody in the game. Yeah, but you're talking about an incredible safety. Sure, but that's that's what you're coaching He for, also you know? redshirted at Texas, which nowadays, man, if you're not a – apparently, that's another thing I've learned this past week. If you were not a complete stud 10 games into your career, you're apparently a bust now. I mean, really. Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas is a bust, <laughs> at least as of he was a bust twelve years ago or whenever yeah. he redshirted as a freshman. Um, anything else you wanted to get to from the Alabama game before we move into a little buy or sell as we look ahead to Missouri? I got one thing, big picture, not about South Carolina. I left um, a like we've already said. I, I thought that was the best collection of four receivers I've seen play in that stadium. Um, B, as good as Tua is as a college quarterback. Um, mm. I got questions about him as an mm. NFL guy. And your point about how how few times they threw downfield, the few times they actually did try to go vertically, I felt like that was the second or third drive of the game. When Carolina actually got pressure on Tua is because they expanded those route trees out and were actually trying to throw down the field. And that may be a positive to look moving forward for South Carolina. They were able to get pressure 
on Tua when they did. And that's when Alabama said, we're not doing that anymore. We're just going to – why would we? We can we can get our big plays from these short throws. Yeah. Um, but finally, I got questions about Alabama when they play elite defenses. I, I think LSU is going to give Alabama trouble this year because they may – and I, I don't – Carolina doesn't play LSU, so I, I haven't tracked their secondary. I'm just saying – they're always good in the secondary. They always have athletes in the secondary. Alabama's run game not being what it has been. Alabama has to get better up front if if they're going to be in the national championship game this year because when they face truly elite teams, I I think uh you know, I think they could struggle. Not not that they won't have a chance, but just this relying on the passing game, relying on the quick passing game. The quick, yeah, the, the underneath passes yeah. and the catch and run and the yards after Car- catch. Yeah, Carolina. Grant did, Delp is better than JT Bay and Jamias Williams. Carolina maybe. didn't have the horses to make it matter. LSU Other can play a little will. offense now. Oh and, yeah, and it, that's what I'm saying. I'm a little Joe Burrow. I'm, Joe Burrow, and, you can still get him at like seventeen to one to win the Heisman. I'm telling you, I think uh, you know they they got what a new passing game guy. Yeah, at Joe LSU. Brady, Joe Brady from the Saints. Saints. Yeah, yeah, from the Saints. Smart, um, smart dude, dude. I'm telling you, I I, I, I think in LSU um, before this the, may be their chance. Before the Alabama game was even over, I had checked to see what week the Alabama LSU game is, and it's the week of the Carolina App State game. Because if that was if if that was, I mean, I guess it didn't really matter what game it is. If that game's at the same time, I know what game I'm recording and watching later. Spoiler. I'm really excited about that Alabama LSU game. I think that's going to be Bama awesome. by 17. Your other point, huh? Yes. Hmm? Bama by 17. Will you give me those Still. odds? You give me that line. Oof. I don't. I don't bet. Um, and the other the other thing that you said about Tua, I think, is really interesting. I kind of I kind of kept that opinion to myself. I maybe voiced it to a couple of people, but I left that game thinking, people really tanking for Tua. Like, is that as sure thing as tanking for Andrew Luck or? I mean, even Trevor Lawrence, who's four touchdowns, five interceptions through three games this season. Yeah, I, thought, I, I kind of thought the same thing. He he skipped a pass. There there was a it was Judy running down the field, and it looked like reasonably well covered, but he threw it about ten yards short of him. It was like a nooner pass, and I was like, "What was that?" I didn't know if he was just throwing it in the dirt. Dirt. That was weird. But Most of his passes were on the money, though. Even yeah, yeah I mean, the easier. He, he makes some great passes, but yeah. anything further or anything farther than ten yards down the field. Seems like less of a less of a sure thing, but it, I, I guess that's neither here nor there. All right, and we're we got to get back on track, I think. But I I said this to Chris. I I don't think I've said it like you said. I don't think I've said it publicly. But if we're in an alternate universe, if Ryan Helensky is on the other sideline, he makes every single throw that Tua made. I think. Sure. Yep. Yeah, I think yeah. he puts up the same numbers. We're talking about the same performance, um, which. That's a true freshman, which I don't know if that says. I don't know what that says. Yes, about which the guy. quarterbacks? How different is, is the result? Same, in that in that same, game, about same the result. same. Yeah. In in other games in the past, not the same. No, for sure. But in this game, because of the, how the you know how the offense was structured, the play calls and all that. I mean, all yeah. the, Ryan could have made all those throws, and there wasn't a lot of like pressure at most times because he's getting the ball out quick. Right, both of those guys. I mean, they, they were running. They were running similar kinds of offense. Holinsky threw the ball down the field a couple times. He missed Brian Long. He threw the touchdown pass to Shy, and then he threw the pick to Shy. But that that's one that you almost, I mean, you don't wipe out because it was not yeah. a good decision. He had Xavier Leggett open over the middle of the field, and he he could have made a better decision there. But it was also it's late in the game. You're just trying to make up. I think at that point it was still a three score game. So you you're have to kinda, force stuff. Yeah, you're like, kind of pressing. You're kind of yeah. forcing. So that one doesn't concern me overly. Um, the last thing that I wanted to mention before we get into a little bit of buy or sell, 
because you mentioned Alabama going down the field and not only Tua not necessarily connecting on those throws, maybe we're overreacting. I was just looking for an angle on that really while I was watching the game, but it did kind of stand out. But Carolina's ability to get pressure was interesting and something that Eric Kimry pointed out on uh, my local show on 107.5 on Monday. It's not just that Carolina was getting pressure where Alabama was weak, which is that sort of interior line, which Alabama fans have been complaining about all season long. And, I mean, you saw that. You know, you give credit to Carolina's interior defensive line, but you also take into consideration this is not Alabama's best interior offensive line. And that both of those things, I think, contribute to Alabama not being able to run the ball. But Carolina getting pressure, you know, off the edge. I think it was Dylan Wanham and Javon Kinlaw that were credited for that sack, so kind of a combo there. But Carolina's ability to get pressure, even you know against an Alabama offensive line that's got a couple of good tackles. I think that's something to, something else to be encouraged about that hasn't been talked about a ton lately. All right, time for a little buy or sell. Shout out to the Terry Bishop team for sponsoring what has become uh, one of our favorite segments and one that has been very divisive. People like to track our picks and remind us when we're wrong, which is great because that's why we put this out into the public sphere uh, last week. I think it was Chris and I bought... 125 yards rushing. Carolina finished with 135, so we were right. Wes was wrong. I think Wes and I bought the that Carolina would score I know over I bought, 25 yeah, points on the points, and Chris did not. Wes and I were wrong. Chris was right, and the last one, yeah, because yeah. it was only 24 or 20. It was 20 47 to 23. Yeah, so it was a 24 point game. So we barely missed that. I'm not very good at this. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not very good at this either. But in the last one was. Um, what was the last one? It was it was actually not something we could really track because it was your oh it, it was, it was your Kinlaw it was thing. Kinlaw yeah and yeah. I, I think I win I don't think you did yeah, yeah, I, I, I bought that Kinlaw yeah. was the most important player in the game y'all sold it yeah that's impossible to track yeah although I will say and I I said Ryan Linsky was the most important guy in the game which I agreed maybe. with Kinlaw that, was yeah. a beast though there, I will say time to give Javon Kinlaw his due because I, I I think some people sort of have this feeling that. He didn't even that he didn't play all that great last year, and I thought for an interior defensive tackle, I thought he actually. Now he had some games where he was dominant, some games where he just sort of did what he was supposed to do. But that's a position you're not going to just mash the other guy in front of you every single game. I, uh, you know, there's to to me, the guy is closing in on a really really good senior season. I mean, there were times even against Alabama's guys, like you said. Maybe they're not quite as strong on the interior as they have been in the past, but still, this is Alabama. They recruit four or five-star guys in there. And Chris Owens uh, was playing. He he was the guy that was questionable headed into the week. He is their starting center, according to their preseason depth chart. He's the best guy they have there. So that was a big get for Alabama and, frankly, didn't make that much of a difference in terms of Alabama being able to block the run any better or even, you know, protect two in that first quarter. Yes, I, I like Javon. I think he, you know, I think he graded out maybe best of the defenders last year just the entire season and um, graded out well this week, too. So, Javon. Third straight 70-plus game, according huge, to Pro Football Focus. Yeah, huge part of what they do. All right, buy or sell. Chris, you want to tell us a little bit about the Bishop team? Yeah, Terry Bishop, former Gamecock quarterback, big supporter of the program, 36 years of real estate experience right here in Columbia. Um, he's got a cockaboose for sale right now for a really good deal, I've been told. And uh, if you want to buy, sell, invest in real estate, He's an obvious choice. He knows what he's doing. He's a Gamecock guy. So give him a call, 803-665-1442. And visit on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Terry Bishop team. All right. First up on our buy or sell, South Carolina traveling to Columbia, Missouri, where they're a nine-and-a-half-point underdog 
Uh, a lot of question marks, as we've talked about, remain about South Carolina's safeties. They just give up a lot of points and a lot of yards to Alabama. Certainly a different beast here in Missouri with the quarterback and Kelly Bryant, who still has a lot to prove. But we'll start on the defensive side of the ball and say buy or sell, Carolina will hold Missouri to fewer than 35 points. Chris, you start. I will buy that. You're buying that Carolina will hold Missouri to fewer than 35. Yep. You almost, you sound incredulous almost. No, no, I just want you're, to make sure. Just because you, I mean, you pretty much sell everything. <laughs> I just, I'm not used to you starting things I'm off a salesman. With so for you, does, hey. that, is that, does that have more to do with Carolina making some either personnel changes or just some market improvement in the film room and the approach on the back end of the secondary? Or do you just not think that this Missouri team is equipped offensively to put up those kinds of numbers against Carolina? Oh, I think Missouri's going to put up some, uh, I think they're going to put up some yardage. I think they're going to put up some numbers. Um, it's a little bit like last week with the rushing total. I, I said that South Carolina would go over, but not by much. And um, You're right, 10 yards. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I'm not patting myself on the back. I may not be I'll right very often. Thank you. But, with yeah, with Missouri, I mean, 35 points is the threshold. I, I see them getting, you know, right at it or very close, to be honest with you. I, I like, I think, Kelly Bryant, you know, with what he can do as a dual-threat guy. Uh, they have receivers who can really run, you know, whether it's Jonathan Johnson or, or Nance. Um, Larry Roundtree's a really good back, um, and they got a, a pretty big and pretty solid offensive line as well. And then Albert O at tight end, obviously, is a weapon. So I certainly think that can uh, – they they're going to put up some points. I'm just going to sort of, I guess, follow my gut and say that I will – I will buy them going under. I just think maybe – well, one thing would be a spoiler, so I'll leave out that reason. All right, Wes, buy or sell. Yeah. Buy. I'm going to buy it too. I'm going to buy it too. Alabama got to 47. One of those was garbage time, so it was essentially 40 when the game was in the balance, and Alabama was a lot more talented offensively. I'll be really curious to see if the pass rush that Carolina was able to get early in the game is sustainable. I think Kelly Bryant, even though he's a mobile guy, I think is not as accurate, especially in the short and intermediate game – as Tua. So if they can get some pressure on him, I can see him making some mistakes. And, um, well, I actually, I guess I have also a stat that would be a spoiler for our next buy or sell. So I'm going to hold off on that. And we'll, we're all buying that. That's cool. Good job, us. Uh, next up, buy or sell. Rico Dotto will have his second straight 100 plus yard rushing game in conference. I'm, I'm buying it as well. Uh, full uh, disclosure. I have not. I was going to look up Missouri's defensive numbers before I answered that. You got it. Yep. Okay. I was say, you've been typing on your computer this entire time, not paying attention to anything Chris or I have said, and you've been didn't doing find work. the stats. Yeah, I had but to. We're working right now. I had now. to do something for our later segment. What you got the stats, but not this later. I have the team stats. Yes, they. Yeah. Although, up. which I I gotta say, I hate team stats this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's West Virginia, Southeast Missouri State, and who else has Missouri played? Wyoming. Wyoming. Oh yeah, Wyoming at altitude, which yeah, we last mentioned was brutal. <laughs> and and I think I think the sack totals are counted in these that I have as well, yeah, which I don't know are. what the sack numbers were. But but Missouri, do you want me to give them? Yes. Please. Okay. Missouri gave up 297 rushing yards to Wyoming. Uh, their running back and their quarterback, Wyoming, went over 100 yards. Both of those guys each in that game. I botched that. Each of them went over 100 yards. Okay, there we go. Um, and then West Virginia, <laughs> West Virginia Please, only had thirty. What the rushing yards? That's sort of rough. West Virginia, Neil Brown, star in coaching. 
West Virginia not too good this year. Weird season for them. So Weird far. season. They turned around and beat NC State. Yeah, didn't they? Yeah, and they were and yeah. they were, the they were an underdog title. in that game. Yeah. yeah. Weird so season weird for West game. Virginia. Um, forty rushing yards to Southeast Missouri State, who's not very good at all. So that's like that's basically FCS Southeast. Like that's the, that's almost even the name of their school. Which I mean, you <laughs> oh, play NCAA, NCAA football. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, so. It's sort of hard to figure out. You don't take anything away from Southeast Missouri State rushing total. It could be 400 or – well, if it's 400, that'd be bad. <laughs> what, whatever number, you don't really take away much from it. But then you've got, like, Wyoming, almost 300 yards. But they right, couldn't that's breathe. Bad. They couldn't breathe. They're at altitude And then you've got West part. Virginia. Right, yeah. they couldn't breathe. And so – but then you get West Virginia, and it's 30, and you're like, well, that's really good in West Virginia. I mean, they're not great, but maybe they're not horrible. So, I don't know. I'm, and I'll, I'll say this. And I, I'm still going to buy whatever. I'm buying just because, only because of the guy on South Carolina's side, and that Rico Daddle looks uh, outstanding. I mean, one one of those plays um, that was like either, and I can't remember, it was like an outside zone or or a sweep, pin and pull sweep, something like that. I can't remember what exact play it was. Anyway, it's designed to go outside, and uh, the hole opened up on the inside, and Daddle just Cut stuck his foot in the ground and just exploded through. he didn't just see the hole he exploded through it and then getting the extra yardage downfield where he's weaving back and forth and running hard running through tackles has caught the ball well um, he knocked that on was wood west knocking on the yeah. wooden for, table. i did that for rico um you know he's caught the ball well out of the backfield rico has played rico has maybe been the best player on offense through three games. The down-around scheme? Was actually, is that what you're talking about, Wes? Bus champ terminology? Yeah, oh, yeah. Down-around scheme? Yeah I, can't, yeah, I can't remember exactly what the call was. I just know it was an outside run. Um, he's been I really, think I think that really was what, uh, what Eric Kimry said they call a smart pull, where basically they have the option to pull the center and the guard depending mm-hmm. on where the rest of the defense is aligning. Yeah. So in that instance, they pulled both of them. But you're right, he, he cut it up like inside of the right guard. And I've never seen him, like not even his freshman year, I don't remember. That, I love that was many years ago now. But the point about his health is so important, and I've never seen him seek out contact like he does now. There was a play, it was sort of late in the game, and he caught just like a little dump off maybe five yards down the field, and Alabama had like a backup corner in, but he went and he just wrecked that dude on the sideline. It's amazing to to watch him run so violently, so I'm going to buy it as well. Rico's been fantastic. Fun fact, though, courtesy of Wilhelms, courtesy of PFF, he was actually number three or the third highest graded out player on offense for South Carolina, behind Brian Edwards, number one, actually behind Tavian Feaster, too, which I thought was curious, who only had 36 yards rushing, 33 yards rushing. Something for like Saturday's that. game? For Saturday's game. Yeah, yeah. but I, I'm saying he's probably the highest graded for the season. Yeah, I would imagine so. At so least among starters. So not, we're both buying. Yeah. Chris, are we going to go two for two, all buying? Uh, I'm going to go, un, I'm going to sell it. Just because we bought it? No. Oh, really? I mean, I think he can get there. I, I think so, he's, so. You don't think he's I'm gonna as good do the as thing again? Well, I'm gonna do the thing again where I says he, where I'm gonna say he gets very close, but not there. And he has to say that every time. I have another reason. <laughs> okay. Well, well, no, because you could say, well, he's only gonna have 30. That's not close. Chris think, is predicting he will have 98 yards. Yeah, I think, <laughs> 99. <laughs> no, I think he'll have like 80, 90. And I'm picking Tavian Feaster. Ooh. To have a little bit of a bigger game mm. this time, okay. I think he's going to have a, a maybe a couple longer runs in the game, Feaster. So that that is why what he's going to steal. That? Just all my scheme study. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I just I think Feaster's due for a couple longer runs, right? He yeah. he he has not. And he, he showed he it in North Carolina. Burst, yeah, but he's not consistently. 
when he gets – he just hasn't had against Alabama, for what whatever room. reason, didn't have enough, mm-hmm. as much room. And we've seen that in a few other games, even against North Carolina. Like, he had the big run, but just for whatever reason, it might just be dumb luck. He, he just hasn't had the space. So I feel like he might get it in this game, maybe even in the passing game too. But I think Feaster will have a couple bigger runs and maybe just steal some of that yardage from Rico. When, uh, that's a good take. I'm already, when I, I'm already waiting on the text I'm going to get after – after Kavian he breaks a 50-yarder. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Cool. Last uh, time they were in Missouri, Tyson Williams had uh, maybe his best long run of his career. That was – I thought of that. I think the first of two instances of him uh, hurdling a person, which was cool. If I remember correctly, I that might have been the Texas A&M game. I don't exactly remember. I thought it was Missouri. But either way, that was cool. And I will always remember that. And I will always, I will always appreciate Tyson for doing that. All right, last up. <laughs> South Carolina, this is my stat that I was saving from earlier. This is uh, courtesy of my roommate Joe, who texted me this this morning, efforted it afterwards. Joe. Carolina Joseph. has not had an interception against an FBS opponent since the Missouri game last year. Buy or sell, South Carolina can only get interceptions against Missouri. No, buy or sell, <laughs> South Carolina will end that streak also against Missouri and will record at least one interception this weekend. It se- it seems like the uh, percentages are against this, but or in favor of it because it's been so long. Like statistically, see, that, they should have had a pick by now, right? Yeah, should have had one in the North Carolina game. That's that's not really a true thing, though. The whole all they're due. That's not really that doesn't <laughs> statistically hold up. There's um, a fifty fifty chance either it'll happen or it won't. I'm gonna say yes. Uh, I'm gonna say there's a tipped ball that somehow ends up in a South Carolina player's hands. <laughs> That's and very specific. They hold on to it. All right, Chris. We'll say they're almost going to – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> they're going to pick it off. It's going to get overturned by review. They're going to – yeah. yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll drop out of their hands. I'm I'm going to uh, – let's see. How do I do it? Buy. Buy that they will have an interception. Man, I'm buying too. I'm so you're the that. only person that has sold anything – and it was Rico going for 100 yards, which, frankly, I feel like is the most likely of the three things that we talked about. I, I think so, too, though. I just think Kelly Bryant I think, I think Kelly Bryant might be, other than Charleston Southern, which, again, doesn't count because it was an FCS opponent for this stat, I mean, because um, this is a, a streak against FBS opponents. Carolina did have three interceptions in that game, and Kelly Bryant is less accurate than Tua and less accurate than I think Sam Howell was on that day. Obviously, we've only seen three games of Sam Howell, didn't play – particularly well against Wake Forest in North Carolina's first loss of the season. That was, I guess, was that last Thursday or last Friday? Last Friday, Friday. right? That was yep. weird. Weird. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like there was Chris more opportunity. Tua doesn't throw a lot of picks. So, I'm going to say bye. Chris. Random. Uh, I was just thinking about Drew Locke. And, you know, And how Drew overrated Locke, he is? It, well, you randomly think about Drew Locke? Um, well, in, in this conversation, um, not normally. So, not totally random. But he... You know, South Carolina sort of tormented him because he would have a lot of really good games. And you remember against when, Southeastern Missouri State kinds of teams, he had one good game against Georgia in his career, and right. now people regret drafting him. Where's well, he in Denver, Denver. Yeah. So Drew Locke had a really good game against a yeah pretty bad three win South Carolina team. You know, as a true freshman, and and it really helped him help put him on the map. Right. I mean, it was a really good game. That game he had seventy five percent completions, um, which. We all remember the Georgia game uh, that year. Um, and then he had two touchdowns, Grayson no interceptions. Lambert. Grayson Lambert. Um, two touchdowns, no interceptions. But after that, 
I was just thinking that in terms of South Carolina, for whatever reason, always had a lot of success about, uh, against Drew Locke, so they're going to need to sort of rekindle some of that. Yeah, Two definitely. guys have nothing to do with each other, but whatever. All right, well, I'm let's continue this sidebar briefly before we wrap up by yourself. Yes, just w- real quick, oh, yeah, I want to give Drew stats. stats. The next games, uh, 57%, one touchdown, two interceptions. The next year, 43%, one touchdown, two interceptions. And then last season, uh, 47%, no touchdowns, two interceptions. So Drew was pretty he, he was pretty brutal those last three years against the Gamecocks for whatever reason. Is he the best empty stats quarterback of the decade? I couldn't say. I haven't seen all of them. Let's just say even in the, let's just say in the Southeastern Conference. Would you rather have Drew Locke or Jake Bentley? I mean, I would pick Bentley. Yep. The real question is, would you pick Bentley? Yeah. Why is that the real question? We all know why. <laughs> no, I just I, I think I think both of those guys have recorded a lot of empty statistics. I, I think Drew Locke's probably the king of empty stats. So if I want to put up seven hundred and thirty points against southeastern Missouri State and FCS Southeast, I'm taking Drew Locke. There's nobody better to just torch an absolutely horrible team and then not. That is true. He was very good at that. Very he was adept. Fantastic at yeah. That. Yeah. And I guess you give the coaching staff credit too for for just running it up like that you uh you mentioned a lot of drew Locke's stats um what do y'all remember do y'all remember what kelly bryant's stats were against south carolina his long start against the game uh yes what do you remember about he that? was uh he was he didn't throw down the field very much he was 23 of 32 for 246 yards two touchdowns and no interceptions how many completions did you say uh 23 <laughs> was that right 23 Yes, <laughs> of 34. What did I say, 32? Yeah. Dude, I'm pulling this straight out of my ass. For uh, no, We're explicit now. For uh, <laughs> 272 yards. I said 240-something. Yep. Two touchdowns and no Two picks. touchdowns, one, one interception. Pick? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. All right. That uh, That's pretty good. but Which is probably his line about every game mm-hmm. he started for them, except for maybe Alabama. Yep. And then when but, you look yeah. at his stats, it's like, Passes thrown down the field is like, and and however many years he's been playing football, it's like O of one. Yeah, well, the stats. thing I remember, and maybe it's my perception, the thing I remember about Kelly Bryant, he could throw the deep ball when we're talking, you know, like the go route basically, like lob it up, my guy runs under it. He can throw the short stuff, tons of screens. I remember that team. It seemed like uh, wide receiver screen left. Wide well, it was like right. who hired Chad Morris? Again? Yeah, a different. Um, you know, different version of a wide receiver screen, just uh, all this stuff. The thing that I always thought he sort of struggled with uh, was, like, the intermediate throws where you're you're reading, you're dropping the ball in behind linebackers, you're throwing the ball in windows. Um, that's what I felt like, at least at Clemson, that he didn't really do a whole lot of. Now, they they haven't ran him very much at Missouri. And, um, you know, I believe Barry Odom was asked about that and basically said that, you know, they know what's ahead as far as the schedule is. So I, I think it was more, you know, let's save that in the back pocket. Now, that said, you lost to Wyoming. Um, maybe you should have ran him a little bit more in, in that game. But maybe he was deprived of oxygen, too, like the could, rest of the could defense. Could be. I just I, – that to me is very interesting how few times he's run the football this year compared to – you know, he was Clemson's second-leading rusher, I think, Um the year he started there and rushed for, I think, 
maybe 600 and something yards or so. So he I thought it was more than that, but yeah, six, he 600, 700, something like that. He ran the football, and that that obviously takes out sacks. So his actual rushing total without sacks um, probably closer to eight is, or nine is a lot higher. Yeah. So th- that's been interesting to me. Does that continue, or do they try to run him? You know, a, a bit more this week now that you're in SEC play, and and what does South Carolina sort of have to do to stop that? That's the question. That's the question is what can Kelly Bryant do? And we'll, uh, I guess, transition into a little bit of Missouri preview. Uh, that was buy or sell. Reminder, we all bought everything except Chris sold Rico Dowdle rushing Sorry, for 100 Rico. yards Chris because he thinks it's going to be a Tavian <laughs> Feaster breakout game from one Clemson transfer against another. It's going to be Tavian who wins the day, not Kelly Bryant, at least in Chris's opinion. So thanks again to the Bishop team for sponsoring that segment. Um, we talked a little bit about what some of the secondary changes might look like. Talked about, uh, again, sort of those angles and buy or sell. How do y'all see this game going? The line opened at nine and a half. Um, that was on Sunday night or maybe Monday morning. We just checked, and it hasn't crept down at all. And it's still minus 110 on each side, which means the action through the early part of the week has been very even on both sides. That seems high to me. Me, me too. Um, yeah. I I think the teams are pretty pretty even. Very I, even. I, I thought you would yeah. give Missouri, you know, and, I, and I'm not – I don't really know about the gambling lines and how all that works. Um, I don't know the intricacies of it all, but I, I felt like it may be open with Missouri, like around favored by around five or so. Yeah, like, I said know, four, at four home, and a half. You know, yeah. at home, and if it was in Col- this Columbia, I felt like it had been, you know, right around a pick 'em. Maybe, maybe Missouri still favored a little bit, but I thought just with them being home, that was maybe the big difference between the two teams right now. You do have a freshman quarterback starting on the road for the first time. I don't know how much that plays into the Vegas stuff, but. Um, yeah, dude, I was I was floored. Like, n- not just ah, that's weird. I was shocked that it was as high as it is. And I this as far as how it plays out, this is a fourth quarter game all the way. I I think um you know I think for South Carolina, um, most of the time teams don't play that well after they play Alabama. It seems like some of that is that they're so banged up. And South Carolina did um you know as as bad as the injury bug was for them last year. They have, for the most part, you're always going to have guys that are hurt, but for the most part, they survived the Alabama game without having an injury list of 10 guys. I mean, know? no new injuries. The only Carolinas carrying into the Missouri game are Brad Johnson, Dreek Davis, Keir Thomas, and A.J. Turner, maybe, all yeah. of whom have already been missing time with injuries. Yeah, so you feel you know, you know feel better about that. I, uh, you know, We didn't do buy or sell on the line, but I'm I'm taking South Carolina all, all the way with the 9.5 points. I mean, that that's something where I feel pretty strongly that it's going to be closer than that. Um, as far as how it plays out, I think South Carolina can, can keep scoring on these guys. Obviously, the question is, can you know, does the road atmosphere affect Ryan Helensky? I don't really think of Missouri as being some crazy, tough-to-play SEC atmosphere. As far as if, much like we said, it was very, very nice for Ryan Helensky to start his career against Charleston Southern at home. If you were going to pick a stadium to have your first road SEC game, Vanderbilt. other than Vanderbilt, <laughs> other than Vanderbilt, yeah. Missouri is it. Yeah. All the other ones are like true SEC big-time atmospheres. Columbia, Missouri can get loud-ish, but it's not like just that, oh, my gosh, there's 100,000 people. This is the most intimidating thing I've ever done. Yeah. Um, the only thing you worry about is it's really far. It's a yeah. different time. It's a lot of travel. And, I mean, that's what you worry about more than anything else because in terms of football, I mean – what what, this de- is a good what, place what, de- what defense is is Ryan going to see that's more fearsome than that Alabama defense this year? 
Not many. Like like maybe none. Maybe Georgia. One. Yeah, Georgia. You put maybe in there. Clemson. Maybe Clemson. Move around Clemson a lot. You put in there. Maybe but Clemson good. for me still has some question marks in their front seven. Like they've looked good, but they haven't looked dominant. At least not compared to last year, which. Is, I mean that's that's a given when you lose your entire when you lose six of your front seven to the NFL like it's going to be hard yeah. to replace that. But in terms of the actual football, it wasn't going to be it wasn't going to be what he faced at Alabama last week. It's really just how does the travel affect? Yeah. Him? What 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 am I missing here as far as the line? Just I, well, the see, fact South Carolina lost to North Carolina is one and two. Missouri's yeah. two and one. I think your point about a freshman quarterback making his first start on the road is well taken. I think Vegas sees that. But if we're all thinking that that line is a little bit high that this game will be decided in the fourth quarter. Chris, is this a last offense that has the ball wins kind of game, or is it going to come down to someone making a stop at the end? I know that's like semantics. That would be the that wouldn't that be the same thing? Well, no. I mean, is this <laughs> it, when I is it is this going to be like the South Carolina need to score on the last drive? Or do is they the game going to be decided by the, by the by the like yeah. someone scoring on the last drive, or is it going to be? Kind like of a field goal as time late. expires, or or, yeah. or even just you know they, it's a hail mary or an interception of the twenty yeah. yard line. Or no, I I could certainly see that a last drive stop either got to score or got to get a stop. I could see that for sure. Um, you know I think it is close. I think it's a one score game either way. A couple really evenly matched teams, sort of when you look at how the personnel is playing. I think if you look at the roster, just as far as like the star power, shameless plug, we got that on Gamecock Central right now as far as the recruiting rankings and all that, I think South Carolina would have that on-paper edge as far as that. But Missouri, I mean, somehow or another, they always come up with some guys who are really good football players who are unheralded. You know, they got a lot of them on the roster. Um, So they still have talent, too, like Roundtree. I mean, Bryant's going to present some problems defensively. They got some guys like Jordan Elliott and Demarcus Acey who are really good players. So I think it's close either way, and I agree. You know, last – it's going to be something you're tracking up until the clock hits zero. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be out so far ahead that the game's in hand in the fourth quarter. I'd be really curious to see how the rushing attack for Missouri fares because Carolina has defended the run well the last couple of games, again, especially against Alabama. That's obviously tremendous in terms of how optimistic you are, but Tua didn't run it. He did not have a rushing attempt that wasn't a sack. So how much, like you were talking about, Wes, how much do they take Kelly Bryant out of the garage for a spin let him run the ball more than he has this year. Um, if they don't, I feel like you, Carolina's got a pretty good chance of making this offense one-dimensional. Roundtree's a good running back, but, I mean, they've had Demaria Crockett for the last couple of years who was really, really good. I mean, he plays for the Oakland Raiders right now. Roundtree's a good back, but he's not, you know, Demaria Crockett. And Crockett, even in particular, we're talking about Drew Locke having uncharacteristically bad games for Carolina. It always seemed like Crockett had a little bit extra for that Carolina game for whatever reason. So it is going to be a little bit easier, and you think Carolina's defensive line, I think their linebackers have gotten a lot better from last year to this year. So I think I think we all bought the under for 35 points for Missouri. This I could see this being a 31-28 kind of game with it, you know, sort of coming down to, you know, can Carolina make Missouri one-dimensional and can they get a stop to, sort of at the end of the game rather than just scoring a bunch and winning maybe in a shootout would be my take on how this plays out. I agree, and um, you know, I, 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 I think that this, and and maybe it's still going back to what I thought preseason, and that uh, I'm still hoping I was right, um, as opposed to dead wrong about this defense. I had pretty high expectations for what this defense could be. We we've seen what the the weaknesses are, um, you know, and I, I think if you're, if you're, you know, sort of looking at the entirety of the season so far, you're saying, all right, this team really struggled to tackle against North Carolina. 
Um, you know, there were issues, as we've talked about, against Alabama. And the one team they sort of played well defensively against was a team that just didn't have a chance. So you're saying these, you know, these issues are what they are at this point. The other side of that could be, though, that one game was against Alabama, the best collection of speed you're going to see at wide receiver. The first game was game one, which you always have more tackling issues like that on defense in and game one than you ever do. with the exception of two drives, like I'm rejecting the narrative that that was an abject disaster for Carolina defensively. They gave up 24 points. Yeah. They gave up a lot of yards. But 24, if you give up, I said this like right after the North Carolina game, if you give up 24 points a game over the course of an entire season, you're one of the best defenses in the country. It was two bad drives. They yeah. were both horrible. Lots of missed tackles, busted coverages, the whole nine yards. But two bad drives does not a bad defense make. Yep, and I just the fact that they were, not that Alabama has been a great running team so far but the fact they were able to stand in there and hold up against the run against Alabama I just I think this defense is a little bit better than what the perception is of them right now and I think we'll start to see that in what I believe um, are the two biggest games of the year the next two weeks and arguably the next two weeks are the biggest stretch of the Will Muschamp era to this point I could not agree more all right we're running a little bit short on time here um, y'all did a quick kind of, what'd y'all call it? I like the name. The no huddle edition. Yeah. Uh, was that what you called it? Yeah. The no yeah. huddle, the, the Rico no powers huddle. like emergency. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Commit so, cast. Commit, commit cast. cast. So we did, yeah. uh, Monday we did the no huddle, um, another Carolina podcast, which is our quick thoughts on ACP. the game. Yeah. The cool no huddle podcast. ACP. Um, then we did a commit cast, which we're going to try to do those every time, um, on Rico powers, four star yeah. commitment out of, um, Georgia. Yeah. So I wanted to get to him today. We're we're running short on time. We're already running a little bit long here. But y'all go check out the commit cast if y'all want to hear a little bit more uh, about Rico Powers, about what kind of players, uh, what kind of player Carolina got. Because Will Muschamp cannot talk about that. As uh, one as USC student found out the hard way yesterday at his press conference, which was uh, kind of a a funny moment. Probably stressful for Will because he's just like, oh no, I'm gonna get in trouble. But it was funny for the rest of us, I think. But anyway, go check that out. Uh, you can get that on the Gamecock Central podcast feed. But before we get out of here. Got to go back over the Slotsky's winners from this past week. So the, it's, I mean, you, I'll let you explain the game. And also, since it's Wednesday, I'll do have a couple of days to go ahead and make your official predictions for the Carolina-Missouri game so that you have an opportunity to win some Slotsky's. Yeah, you got plenty of time. Slotsky's Daily pick them there on um, – it's both on the Insiders Forum and the Fighting Gamecocks Forum, which means you don't actually have to be a subscriber to participate. Uh, the closest to the score of the game will get um, basically – a $60 tailgating package, which involves your pick of sandwiches, you get some chips, um, all the other stuff you need, like your plates and your napkins and all that stuff, some cookies, which is, I think, Pearson's favorite mm. part, all from Slotsky's Deli. And um, we had someone actually last week pick the game within one point. Uh, was at, it me? It was I, not My you. pick was money. I said 49-24. Um, it was 47-23. They said forty-eight to twenty-three. Oh um, wow, that's strong. Like that is that is money, and I uh, I will be sending out once they get me their mailing address. I will be sending out their package there, and I believe uh, we're all going to get some Slotskis today. So uh, I'm ready. Yeah, I, yeah. I you mentioned the cookies. My favorite part. That is not an unfair characterization, but I mean their sandwiches are legendary. It's um, like I can't. It's like picking one of your favorite kids, you know. I can't say if I like the sandwich more than the cookie. I just like them both so much. Casero nine was our winner, by the way. C a s s e r o nine. Nice job, Casero. Yes. One point. That's really impressive. Yep. So, and again, you got um, you got plenty of time to get in there right now. 
I, I did want to mention real quick about the game. How weird is it? Like, you've got, for it to be a South Carolina, Missouri game, you've got some, like, weird sort of um, off-the-field storylines in this game. In the two that Clemson transfers, two Clemson the transfers, um, Kyle Markway being from Missouri, and he's had a very strange career against Missouri. He had, was injured a couple years ago against Missouri. He had, um, and it ended up being a serious injury, he had the, the catch that sets up the game-winning field goal last year. Um, now he's going back to Missouri. He's going to have like 70 friends and family in the stands, uh, which there may be as many Markway fans in the stands as there are Missouri fans in the stands. Nice. Um, so, you know, that, that's 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 pretty cool, the different. Uh, you know, and, and you have actually Jay Yurick is really, really good friends. They're both former Wren quarterbacks with Kelly Bryant. And uh, shout-out to Ramon Robinson. He's sort of the private quarterback coach for both those guys. Um, so you get, you've got some just – for it to be a Missouri-South Carolina game, there's a lot of just sort of interesting outside-the-sidelines um, little storylines. Yeah, it should be a fun game, and I hope that everyone around Columbia is in as good a mood as they are on this Wednesday. But like I said, you have a couple days if you want to make predictions, if you want to factor in some of those outside storylines into how you think this game is going to go, you're welcome to do so. If you're not a subscriber to Gamecock Central, you can find that thread on the Fighting Gamecock Forum. Thanks so much to Slotchkeys for supporting the podcast and for helping people have awesome tailgates. And this is also the first like true away game, so a great opportunity to get all the sandwiches, bring them over to your house, have a bunch of people over, and just share the uh, share the goodness. Um, and by the way, if you're not a subscriber to Gamecock Central and you want to play the Slotchkeys Challenge on the Insiders Forum, you can do that for a month for free uh, by just enter- entering the code GCPOD. And that'll get you a month of insider access for free, which is fantastic. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to check out, as I mentioned, the commit cast on Rico Powers. If y'all missed the No Huddle Another Carolina podcast on Monday or the Get Cocky podcast, go listen to both of those. We'll be back with another episode of the Get Cocky podcast on Friday. Until then, y'all have a good week. For Chris, for Wes, I'm Pearson Fowler. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. Wendy's is giving you a chance to win cash. Head to a participating Wendy's, snap a pic when you try the new homestyle French toast sticks, and post it on social using the hashtag Wendy's French Toast Stick Sweeps, or log on to Wendy's French Toast Stick Sweeps.com. Wendy's new homestyle French toast sticks are crispy on the outside, fluffy on the inside. They're so good, they're the best thing to ever happen to breakfast. No purchase necessary. See rules at Wendy's French toast stick sweeps.com. Sweepstakes end September 11th, 2022. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.